Good morning, Vox. If you're joining us from Austin, I hope you all survived the deluge of rain that we experienced last night. And as always, it is a blessing to be in your presence, even as we continue to gather virtually. Now, as we get started, I will admit I am new to the world of meditation and breath work. I grew up in a household where there was a pretty consistent attitude of, um, we pray in this house, not meditate. Don't worry, the parents have come around and as legal scholars, therapists, and pastors, they now understand the power of a good silent moment and exhale. So as I navigate this stage of adulthood in the midst of a global pandemic, continued racial oppression, climate change, and the adult move of finally finding a therapist, I too am learning the power of a good inhale and exhale. So today I'm inviting us all to consider what it would sound like, feel like, to exhale our fears and inhale our freedom as children of God and as a collective community. So Vox, how do you experience freedom? When do you feel most free? I ask you to take a moment to reflect and if you feel comfortable to do so by placing a few words that come to mind in the YouTube chat. How do you experience freedom? When do you feel most free? Well, as you continue to reflect on what freedom feels like for you, and thank you to some of you for your contributions, many of these words resonate with me and I'm sure for many of us. And I always find it helpful when exploring such ideas to deconstruct the language we sometimes so casually use. How have we allowed it to take up space in our lives? And in what ways has God called us into this work, this existence of freedom? So here are some definitions to consider. Freedom is the power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. Freedom is the state of not being imprisoned or enslaved. Freedom is unrestricted use. And then according to the concordance, here are some interchangeable words, some synonyms. Freedom is relief. Freedom is release. Freedom is our rescue. Freedom is our redemption. Freedom is our liberation. And this word hit me pretty hard this morning. Freedom is unshackling. Now, I don't know about you, but this language conjures up some meaningful images, perhaps relief from this health crisis. It's release from the lies we've told ourselves. It's rescue from stress. It's redemption from a world that has induced so much pain. It is liberation from toxicity. And the day after a city vote that debated criminalizing poverty and homelessness, the word unshackling holds a lot of residence this morning. More on that word a bit later. But as we reflect on these synonymous concepts, I want to draw us back to the scripture this morning that Hudson read for us just a few moments ago. In 1 John, we read, God is love. When we take up permanent residence in a life of love, we live in God and God lives in us. This way, love has the run of the house, becomes a home and mature in us so that we are free of worry on judgment day. Our standing in the world is identical with Christ. There is no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear. Since fear is crippling, a fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment is one not yet fully formed in love. 
How many of us have felt crippled by the fear of the last year? How many of us have allowed fear to be a dominant presence in our evening dreams or our morning consciousness? Perhaps it has even directed our decisions. And some of you may say, I'm not scared. I haven't felt fear. Well, for those of you that that may feel true, let me reframe it for you. Perhaps you have felt weary, tired, exhausted, stressed, or unable to move. If you have found it difficult to trust God in this season, that is okay. In fact, join the club. The world is enduring mass death, trauma, racial genocide, separation, and more. To trust, to have hope, is in some ways to deny what our eyes see, what our ears hear, and what our minds endure. As humans, risk innately offers us fear, trepidation. But doubt doesn't alienate you from the divine. In fact, it often means you are deepening your understanding of God and his love for us. When we take account of the tragedies of the world, it is difficult to wade through what we see. The last year I've been grappling with the loss of loved ones, the collective trauma of seeing melanated skin, brutalized, oppressed, undervalued, and then that abuse being viralized on my Twitter and Instagram feed. It has brought both exhaustion and enduring anxieties about what our future holds. A few weeks ago after the Derek Chauvin case, I found myself truly struggling to offer hope space in my mind and heart. I spent most of the day of the verdict in a spiral of questioning the validity of our systems, the value of my work as an actual instigator of change and disruption, and even questioning the world and God's love for Black humanity. In fact, that day I wrote on Instagram, our hope does not reside in any one system. Today I give myself permission to honor both the sigh of relief after this verdict and the residing breath of righteous indignation and anger. This system was never built to honor our humanity or protect our bodies, but my body, my soul, my mind, our collective spirit needed this moment to exhale. That ability to exhale, though in the midst of doubt for the actualization of true justice and fear for what this moment meant for black bodies moving forward was only possible because of the abiding love I have in God. I had a precedent for God loving me, loving us, and I chose that day to rest in it. Well, eventually anyways, after hours of spiraling into, let's just all give up, nothing even matters anymore, these systems were not built to, to protect our bodies. But then I remembered, I remembered that there indeed is no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear. Well, that precedent, that recalling of love, security in the midst of uncertainty was experienced a few months ago. Last fall, I lost my younger brother, Benjamin, and my best friend from college, Gianna, within six days of each other, both unexpected, both unrelated to COVID-19. It was and still is unexplainable. And being the planning strategic thinker that I am, I think I navigated that season by just jumping into work, courting the logistics of funerals, memorials, serving to comfort those around me. I really struggled to face the loss, to face the anger that I was unable to love on my brother before he passed. The pain of my best friend, a woman who was just accepted in a prestigious 
policy program in DC, a few months away from being engaged, dropping dead at 32. And so true to form, I decided I'd planned my way through grief, you know, put it on the Google calendar because that's how it works. I set aside two weeks in February around my birthday to road trip to New Mexico. The vision was that I just needed to get outside of Austin. I needed the outdoors, the space to separate myself from the sight of so much pain and uncertainty. And the plan, y'all are sensing a theme here, I think, was to drive out to New Mexico by myself. A solo road trip would give me the time to think, reflect, and heal. I would embark on this journey of the beautiful Southwest safely. I was going to drive, not fly, get tested, stay in Airbnb, and only do things outdoors. Well, the week I set out to drive to Albuquerque just so happened to be the week that Texas decided that 2021 would be in competition with 2020 for disasters no one saw coming. The morning of my trip was the beginning of Snowvid. And for the non-Texans, that's what we've been calling or associating uh, the massive snowstorm of February. Here I was trying to seek out rest for my soul, freedom from my grief, and I was overcome with anxieties about the trip. First, it was, I'm being selfish, indulgent. We're in the middle of a pandemic. I shouldn't be taking trips, no matter how safe I'm being, because so many don't have the privilege to do so. My entire family has experienced loss. Going alone is selfish. We are all desiring freedom right now. Well, after delaying my drive for a few hours with the anticipation that Austin would do its usual thing, you know, snow in the morning, be 75 by the afternoon. Well, that wasn't exactly what took place. In fact, uh, we all know what happened over the next several days. So I was forced to change my route and avoid the overpasses and the highways, which added about two additional hours to my trip. Well, the next wave of anxieties that hit me as I was leaving the city and driving past homelessness, homeless tent encampments, was my work is grounded in justice and equity. How can I escape and seek freedom from my pain as others are literally trapped in theirs? Well, after about eight hours of journeying through the iced over back roads of West Texas, traveling 45 miles per hour on a 75 mile per hour sanctioned roads, I approached the New Mexico border. The plan, yep, still a theme, was if I could make it to New Mexico by nightfall, I'd be golden. There hadn't been any wet weather or precipitation, so I could just cruise to Albuquerque through the guise of the night. Well, 20 minutes after crossing the border, the roads were cloaked in the thickest fog I've ever seen. Apparently in the area I was in New Mexico, right before snow falls because of the altitude in the area of the mountain valley, fog, very thick fog is common. When I tell y'all I couldn't see a foot in front of me, I mean, I couldn't see a darn thing. And no, I didn't risk my life by taking the photo that you see, but it's a pretty close image of what I was experiencing. The few cars around me were driving 15 miles per hour on the highway. I was overcome with the kind of fear that gets into your bones. I contemplated so many things, pulling over to the shoulder and waiting out, but quickly realized the cars wouldn't be able to see me and I would probably end up getting hit from behind. I tried multiple light settings, Mini Cooper, you failed me, 
And finally, I resolved to slow down to 10 miles an hour, put on my hazard lights, turn up worship music, and just pray. It was truly the longest two hours of my life. I had never experienced such acute fear for so long. It was paralyzing. My body, my mind, my eyesight were truly in fight and survival mode. How many of you have felt that same tension in your bodies, your mind, your spirit this year? So endless, so enduring. Like you didn't even know it was possible to endure that much trauma and certainty for so long. What I thought may be 15 minutes of fog or 30 minutes of fog was almost two hours of traveling in complete darkness, complete haze on an unknown road in a state I'd never been to. If that ain't a metaphor for 2020 and 2021, I don't know what is. And shout out to Rachel Lee, who I relayed this story to a few weeks ago, and she encouraged me to write it down. So many of us have been overcome with unknowns and fear and anxieties that we literally could not see the light. We had no precedent for hope. What is interesting about the drive is my relief, my liberation, my rescue did not come with the lifting or the dissipation of the fog. No, it came when I reached the city limits of a town outside of Albuquerque and the illumination of fog and the illumination of the lights penetrated the fog. The lights of the city, the lights of the Walmart, the Popeyes, the evidence of life is what illuminated my path. Perhaps that is the encouragement to us all today. That it is not the end of the pandemic, it is not the verdict of a trial that will give us hope, direction, or relief, but that our freedom will be offered and possible even in the midst of darkness and chaos. When I reached the city, I immediately pulled over into the gas station, not because I needed gas or a bathroom break, but to literally let the anxiety, fear leave my body. It was a marker that I was now safe, seen, secured, free of terror, and abiding in God's love even in the midst of the unknown. Vox, as we reflect on exhaling our fears like I did at the gas station, I invite you to join me in this exercise from one of my favorite Instagram voices, Cole Arthur Riley, the author of Black Liturgies. She wrote, God of sleepless nights, it is comforting to think that you knew fear, that you stayed awake praying, sweating, trying to make sense of your circumstances the night before death. Our bodies are riddled with anxiety, Lord. Steady us in your arms. That your presence with us would be a mother's tenderness. Let us breathe deep, keeping rhythm with the chest of God. Vox, inhale, God meet me in this fear. Exhale, bring rest to my restless mind. Well, after that drive and reaching the Airbnb that night, I vowed not to leave the house the entire trip. New Mexico was clearly not a safe place to be, and I was not going to risk anything else. But that was not the end of my story or the trip. During those two weeks, God invited me into rest and reprieve from the last year. I truly felt that was God's love. And I think there's a few images. I hiked. I was loved on by my cousins. I found laughter. I found peace. God offered me this moment to rest find reprieve, 
and graciously guide me through the fog of grief to experience freedom. Dear Vox, how will you abide in God's love to navigate through the fog or anxieties or unknowns or fear of our current conditions? Well, as I've been on my own journey of exhaling fear and inhaling freedom, I've been reflecting on what it looks like as a collective, what it means for us as a community and a body of Christ. In 1 John, we are reminded that our collective freedom is dependent on each of us. We, though, are going to love, love and be loved. First, we were loved. Now we love. He loved us first. If anyone boasts, I love God and goes right on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, he is a liar. If he won't love the person he can see, how can he love the God he can't see? The command we have from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to love both. Over the last few years, it has become clear that our expression of loving God, our personification of loving people, isn't just the disruption of systems and shifting of policies, but accountability and action by our full community. This includes self-proclaimed liberal Austin, white America, even our evangelical churches, especially those of us who've allowed privilege and denial to shield us from the history and current realities of injustice and racial oppression. The flashing of headlines across our screens is not 24-hour news cycle fodder. Instead, it captures the pain and trauma our communities has endured since the founding of our country. From voting disenfranchisement and the caging of immigrants to the gentrification of East Austin neighborhoods, the policing of black and brown bodies and white spaces, these marks of inequity bear real consequences on the minds and bodies of people of color and the marginalized, the collective psyche of our beloved Austin. The resulting racial trauma isn't just an indictment on failed political processes or systemic inequities, but our failure to care for and truly, fully love our people, love our community. Often cite this quote by Audre Lorde, a favorite author of mine and my co-founder at Rosa Rebellion, a thinker of racial justice and feminism of the 20th century. She once wrote, I am not free while any woman is unfree, even when her shackles are very different from my own. And I am not free as long as one person of color remains chained, nor is any one of you. I really appreciate how Audrey informs us that our freedom is interdependent. That while one of us is living in fear, one of us is oppressed, one of us is silenced, one of us is unfree, none of us are free. If you recall earlier, we were defining what freedom means and one of the synonyms offered was unshackling, which I find so divine and poignant because that's the word that Audrey uses here, she says, I am not free while any woman, person of color is unfree, even when their shackles are very different from my own. Well, Vox, what does it look like to collectively exhale the ignorance of our ancestors and forefathers? What does it look like to exhale the microaggressions present in our institutions and organizations? What does it look like to exhale the bias, discriminatory practices founded in our insecurities, 
our scarcity mentalities and our fears of difference? What does it look like for us to actively participate in the liberation, the unshackling, the inhaling of freedom for those who have been marginalized, oppressed, and unseen? Earlier in the pandemic, there was a particular phrase that bugged me, that bothered me. You would hear it all the time on the news. Well, the whole world, the whole country is in the same boats. But not only was that not accurate, but in some ways irresponsible. Because the truth is we might all be experiencing a pandemic, but very much so differently. Some of us are experiencing an exacerbation of pre-existing inequities in our health systems, our housing systems, our education systems. Some of us have endured a pandemic while still fearing for their lives at the hands of systems and spaces never built to recognize our humanity or protect our bodies. Dante Stewart, a wonderful author and theologian says it like this, there is no America without black people. Jesus wants us all free. The gospel is love and liberation. Jesus is inclusive. White supremacy will not have our futures. Black lives matter. The way God has called us into loving people mandates, necessitates, recognizes those disparate experiences. Everyday people, everyday people of color, marginalized people suffer small and large indignities through overt racial acts, microaggressions, constant attacks on our humanity. And part of our fear is living in the state without living in this state without the acknowledgement of those fears by those in power and those we are in community with. It riddles us with anxieties about our value and our worth. And some of us have experienced the threat of a pandemic that has induced vitriol and violence against our melanated bodies. Cole Arthur Riley invites us into this work in this way. She writes, to any Asian who's afraid today, I see the glory in you. Your grief will not be erased. She co-labors in prayer offering God who friends fall asleep to your pain in the garden. We confess that many of us have fallen asleep to the pain of Asian people in our midst. Be near to every Asian person whose pain and trauma is often ignored, is so often dismissed. Help us to bear witness to their tragedies and make space in our hearts and minds for justice. It is not well, and we will say so together. Vox, being a part of liberation for one another requires co-laboring alongside each other, disrupting and co-agitating the spaces we are called to, dismantling systems and cultural practices of oppression is an act of love, is in the abiding love that God calls us into. Yesterday marked the start of AAPI Heritage Month. And while I invite us to honor and celebrate the rich, beautiful contributions of our AAPI community. I also would challenge us to spend this time, not just in this month of May, but all the days to come to name the shackles that Audrey cautioned us about of the marginalized. Let us pursue justice and equity, the work that God calls love. 
The work of racial justice can't be done in isolation. America, Austin's true racial reckoning demands the visible investment and collective work of those who have benefited from such social inequity. It moves us beyond just passive allyship into active coagitation, active liberation through love. In Austin, this includes a commitment to unburden and co-labor with our communities. The passive practice of just displaying yard signs or tweeting that Black Lives Matter and to stop Asian hate, while good, it does not replace an active posture of exposing and disrupting racial inequity in our neighborhoods, our boardrooms, and even in our faith community. Our collective liberation, rest, reprieve from fear, our communal freedom relies on each of you answering this question. Dear Vox, how will you allow God's love for us to model and direct our pursuit of collective freedom and community justice? As you meditate on that question, I invite you into this prayer. God of full freedom, we confess that at times we only possess imagination for partial freedom, perhaps even only our own freedom. Grant us wisdom, strategy, and policies that truly are for the liberation of all. Inhale, we were meant for freedom. Exhale, I will not settle for less. Again, a prayer offered by Cole Arthur Riley. For those of you looking for more directive or more instruction around what this collective freedom looks like, sounds like, how it can be manifest, perhaps I can offer you this picture, these reminders. Your anti-racism requires dismantling all forms of white supremacy in your boardrooms and in your biblical interpretations. Your anti-racism acknowledges the past and present traumas and fears of all people of color. Your co-agitation, your community liberation must be intentional, not performative. Your call to love all because you love God needs to be unapologetic, not conditional. Your anti-racism, your liberation, your community love must, must not center your comfort, but instead elevate truth. And Vox, finally, your anti-racism, your community love must be a reflection of our love for God and a deep reflection of our love for all people. With those reminders of how we abide in love together as a community, I invite you to listen to a voice that is a consistent presence of wisdom, assurance, and love for me. She is one of the co-hosts of a podcast I'm a part of called Gen Activists. It's a space that we've created for intergenerational dialogue around activism and racial justice and amplifying the incredible work of women of color. So alongside my, my co-host, Megan Harding, we have G-Mom, a retired professor at USC, a former pastor's wife, and most importantly, she holds the title of my grandmother. Dr. Sylvia G. Mom Russo. In each episode, we end with words of wisdom from G. Mom. And I thought I'd end our time together today in the same way. Check out these words of wisdom from G. Mom. 
I'm learning as I grow older to be more intentional and understanding that I need rest uh, and that it can take various forms. Uh, but I need to be aware that it's it's part of my renewal each morning, uh, not just to have my devotions, but to be really intentional. You know, at one time I used to get up and read my scriptures. Whoops, I did that. You know, check it off. Uh, but lingering in the scriptures more, listening to God's voice. Uh, what does this mean for me in this moment? Um, and um, and not being apologetic about it, uh, but that it's something I need to do so I can be better for for you or everybody else. Um, so, and I think God is my medium. You know, it's it's through Him that I discover more and more who I am and the power of rest. And I think um, the words give us this day our daily bread and just this um, this um, permission to God to order my steps, uh, that I'm not out there trying to do it on my own and my own wisdom, but as I'm anchored in Him and give myself permission to be um to be anchored in moments of reflection, moments of loving myself. I think that's really so important when the scripture says, love thy neighbor as thyself. Um, sometimes we're hesitant to give ourselves permission to love ourselves. And that union with God each morning um, means that for me, the permission to love myself as God loves me. Well, Vox, I hope those words of wisdom resonate with you this morning and you take them into your week. The reminder that loving ourselves is perhaps giving ourselves permission to exhale the fear, exhale the anxieties that we have and allow ourselves to abide in God. And through that, abiding in our own freedom. I hope she encouraged you as you navigate how God's love moves us from fear to our personal freedom and collective liberation. Vox, may you find ways to exhale fear this week and inhale God's love and the freedom he has promised us through him. Amen. <laughs>